All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 is where we're going to be today. If you got some notes, wave them at me just so I can know that you got them. Good, you should have received some notes in here when you walked in. Encourage you to take notes uh, right along with us. Um, We are are continuing a series called We Are. We're studying the book of Ephesians. If you are here, haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, and this is week three. Today, actually, we were supposed to be in Ephesians chapter three. We were doing one week in every chapter, which there's so much to do in each chapter, but we were just kind of taking the big highlights of each chapter and sharing them, teaching them, going in depth in them. And uh, due to everything that's gone on this week and all of the tragic things that are going on, I I messaged all of our pastors actually uh, on Thursday night and I said, man, I feel very strongly uh, for us to share on what's going on. So many people are confused. So many people are angry. So many people are hurt. Um, there's a lot of emotions that are going on right now, and I feel as a, as a pastor and as a pastoral team that we need to help pastor you through this moment. Now, as a white pastor, let me just say this. I, I don't know if I have the right to speak about some of the things that I'm even speaking on, but I will tell you this. As a pastor, I feel I have the responsibility to speak on it. And, and to help you. So how many, how many you need some help just navigating even your own emotions through all of this? And so uh, we're going to dive into the Word of God today because the Word of God is solid rock. And it is what we build our lives on. It is what we, we bring all of our emotions to. We bring it to the Word and allow the Word to, to help us. Now, um, let me just say this and give you a little bit of a backstory, and, and then we'll dive into Ephesians chapter 2. Coming into November and December of 2015 of last year, um, our staff always gets together and begins to pray about what are some of the things in the coming year that we want to be um, praying about, that we want to see happen in our church. And one of the things that we put at the forefront of that we wanted to really pray through uh, in 2016 and be as a church was racial reconciliation. It was actually the things that we, we fasted about it in our 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And uh, one of the ways that we even began to do that was this past year for the first time, uh, we hosted the MLK event right here at our church. How many of you were here for that event? Um, and, and it was an amazing event, uh, incredible time. Pastor Tim Delina from our Lafayette campus came and spoke and man, just rallied our community to togetherness and to unity. It was such an incredible time. And God's really put on my heart personally, even for that over the past couple of years, being in the schools and doing what I've been doing as of lately. And um, at that MLK event, we were closing out. Everything was over. I went outside. I walked outside and, and I was uh, just greeting people as they were going out. And I had a, 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 such a, a pretty young, I mean, pretty old, not pretty old. She was pretty, but she was older. A black lady come up to me. And uh, she said, can I, can I grab you for a minute? And she, she pulled me aside and she just said, I just want to thank you and thank y'all's team and y'all's church for doing what y'all did tonight. She said, uh, for, for a, a predominantly white church to take on an MLK event was such a big deal for her. And she said, I just want to thank you for that. And I'm of course, said, you know, we're just, we're just trying to love our community. She said, but I also want to tell you something else. Now, anytime somebody says that to you, you're like, uh-oh, something's about to go down here. And, uh, and so she says, um, she said, you're good friends with Dr. 
Coleman, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am. Now, Dr. Coleman, for those that may or may not know, was the principal of Jennings Elementary for a good bit of time. And we've been doing a lot of things at Jennings Elementary. So I became a very good friend of his. And, um, and uh, a couple, oh, a year or so ago, his grandmother passed away. And, um, and I, I had just a deep heart for him. His, he was very close to his grandmother. And so I'd called him and prayed with him and encouraged him and said, hey, I'd like to come to the funeral. So I went to the funeral and I was the only white guy there. I was it. It was me. And so, of course, I sat in the, in the back and I uh, just wanted to just, to just kind of be there for him. And of course, in Dr. Coleman's style, he comes and grabs me and brings me to the front row. And, uh, and so uh, this lady brings us up. She says, you were at Dr. Coleman's grandmother's funeral, weren't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I was. And she said, that ministered to me so much to see you go into a situation like that. And um, she said, I I wanted to tell you when you left, you you left and you crossed the street. I said, yes, ma'am. My car was on the other side of the street. She said, when you left, God told me something. So anytime somebody says that, then you're like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And she said, I just wanted you to hear this. God told me, you see that man right there? That man is going to help bring the black and white community together in this city. And, um, And I say that. I say that not in a proud or boastful way or to speak highly of myself or to give some type of credential to what I'm going to say in just a minute. I say that because that has been a burden on our heart as pastors for over a, well, close to a year now. And, and to hear somebody say that at the beginning of January when we started this process and say, hey, this is what God told me was just confirmation that this is what God's called our church to do. Y'all with me here? And God has called us as a church to look like heaven. And, uh, and listen, if you're white in here, I, I like you. If you're black in here, I love you. <laughs> and uh, if I, I say this all the time because we are as a church to be diverse, much like our community is. And unfortunately, in our city and in our nation, much of Sunday is a very segregated day. And, uh, and so for us as a church, our passion has been for even the past 16 years at the core of who we are to break down those walls. And, and so this has been the beginning of us. And so working in schools and doing all that we've done. And, and, and the other thing, though, was at the, at the at last year, um, God also gave me the opportunity to be one of the chaplains for the police department. So as you can tell, this week for me has been a hard week. Um, we have many officers that come to our church. Um, we have many African-Americans that come to our church. And there is tension in many of those. But yet again, as I say, we come to the word of God, because I think with our hurt and our grief and our anger and our, for those who feel scared and those who are all that, that racism and oppression and hostility, here's the good news. That's not something that's new for the 21st century. I'm here to tell you that was a problem in the first century as well. And the Bible addresses all of this and the Bible gives us hope through his word. So I want us more than anything I'm not going to share my opinions. I want to share what the word of God says. Can we go to the word of God uh, for how we process through this? And so let's go. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. 
Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is addressing what is a very volatile situation in the day and age, which is the Jews were God's chosen people. They were God's beloved people. And the Gentiles were ones really on the outside. The Jews were seen to be the ones on the inside. The Gentiles were the ones on the outside. And of course, in the, after Jesus rises again and he, 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 he gives Peter the mandate of going and now preaching the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But in those days, there was great hatred for one another. If you were a Jew, you absolutely hated the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, you absolutely hated the Jews. In those days, if a Jewish man called a Gentile the uncircumcised, that would be much like us having a derogatory name for someone of another race. It was not something that was good. In those days, there was such hatred towards one another. If a Jewish person married a Gentile person, whether a male or female, they married them, the Jewish family, their parents, would have a funeral for their child because their child would be considered dead to them. This is the hostility and the animosity of what was going on. In those days, if a Gentile rubbed up against a Jewish man, a Jewish man felt like he was now unclean. And he would have to go through the process of cleaning himself. There was actually a physical sign outside of the temple. Much like boys have outside their doors or outside a clubhouse that say no girls allowed. The Jews also had that where they said no Gentiles allowed. So imagine for Gentiles feeling like they were on the outside and they could not get in. And there was this entitlement within us. Now, if you go and you read in verses 14, Paul is going to acknowledge that there is what's called the dividing wall of hostility. We'll read it in just a minute as we look at another passage of that. But there is the dividing wall of hostility. And don't think that this is just a Jewish issue. There are dividing walls in all cultures. There's dividing walls right now in our own, in our own country. Why is that? Why is there dividing walls? Because in our selfish sinful nature, there is this desire in us to elevate ourselves over other people. We want to be better than other people. And you see this all throughout our country. You see people who try to elevate themselves based off, based off of their athleticism, or they try to elevate their worth based off of their beauty, or they try to elevate themselves based off of making more money, or they try to elevate themselves based off of status. And you see dividing walls all throughout our country. You walk in any high school or junior high and you see dividing walls. You see the athletes who are the athletic people and they only hang out with them. And then you see the, the geeky smart guys that are always together. And then you see kind of the outcasts. You see, you see these dividing walls. In our culture even now and in our country right now, one of the greatest dividing walls aside from just race is political persuasion. Right? If you don't believe me, just watch The View. Or watch Sean Hannity and watch how they speak of people who are on the other side of the aisle. You even watch our own senators and unfortunately you watch even some of our own elected leaders and you watch how they speak of the other person on the other side. There is great hostility, dividing walls. If you just got on Facebook at all this week, you would have seen dividing walls. You would have seen hostility. You would see people that don't know how to express what they're feeling other than just to let it all out. And sometimes that only creates the wall to be even higher. 
And so what does Jesus have to say about this? Because I believe the path that we have to take to see reconciliation amongst all peoples. Let me even say this. There's, there's also dividing walls in gender. There's dividing walls with the poor and the rich. There's dividing walls. In all. So this isn't just a racial thing. There's dividing walls all throughout our nation in many ways. But we've got to see one thing, and that is this. I want you to fill this in. You, have, you should have a blank on your note card. You probably have heard this before. It's not, I'm not coining this phrase. But this is the phrase that I think can help us begin to comprehend what is the real problem with this. And that is this. We don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And at the heart of this issue is sin. Sin has broken and fractured. The beginning of the Bible, when God creates Adam and Eve, they were sinless and perfect. And they communed with God and everything was good. But as soon as they broke God's command and sin entered into the world, you know, as we get into, uh, I mean, just go into Genesis chapter 3, 4, and 5, and 6. And just read all throughout Genesis and see how jacked up things get Right at the beginning. I mean, right out of the gate, you have murder. A brother kills his own brother. You progress and you just begin to see sin destroying everything. And so the hostility and the division that gets brought up in our own hearts and in our nation comes out of sin. Sin is the issue. Sin is at the heart of what Jesus has to deal with to help us. Now, let me say this, when it comes to prejudice, when it comes to racism, when it comes to oppression, many times that is passed down. How many of you would agree, and if you look back over your family, some prejudice was passed down in some way? You heard your parents and how they talked. You heard aunts and uncles and how they talked. Hatred is passed down. You go, for the most part, to a preschool with kids who have not learned hate, And they don't see other kids of other color. They just see their friends, right? That that hatred and that prejudice over time is developed and most of the time is passed down from one generation to the next. And I'll say this, if what is in your hands is not healed, it will be handed down. And that is why it's so important for us as parents. Let me say this, in this week and in the coming things of what's going on, To be very careful of what you're saying and how you're commenting and what your kids are listening to coming out of your mouth. Because what's coming out of your mouth is being passed down. Do you all hear me? Because this is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue at its core. And I would encourage us during this time together here in church that we would examine our hearts. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we have to stop denying the divide. The divide is there. But I think what God has called us as a church and as Christians to do is to bridge the divide, is to take down the divide. That is what God has called us to do. Now, fill this in in your your notes as well. Only the gospel can bridge the divide. Only the gospel. We'll get into this in just a minute. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, I absolutely love this chapter. And really, because Ephesians chapter 2 deals with the two biggest problems in the universe. Do you know what those are? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, we studied this last week, if you were here last weekend. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, we looked at the greatest problem that you and I have in all of history. You know what that problem is? Separation from God. That is the absolute greatest problem that you and I face and that this world faces is that people are separated from God. 
And last week we learned that we were enemies of God. We learned that we were dead. We learned that we were, we were blinded by our selfishness. But isn't it great that verse 4 says, but God, rich in mercy, that he didn't give us what we deserve. And then we begin to share the gospel and how Jesus has come and he has destroyed all of those things. And he has now brought us from enemy to family. That is the gospel. And, and God, the gospel is what reconciles men with God. But I love the Apostle Paul because oftentimes when he makes sure that our relationship with God gets right, the next thing he goes after is to make sure that our relationships with each other gets right. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22 is now Paul giving us the, the command of how to now make our relationships. Now, we've made the vertical relationship with God right last week. This week, we get to make the relationships with each other right. Because here's the truth. You can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. You can't say you love God and hate people. Jesus shows up on the scene, gives two commands. We know what they are. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just as great, and that is to... Yeah, we don't like that one, right? Yeah, that's why you're like, love your neighbor. Like, love God, yeah! Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know my neighbor? My neighbor's crazy, okay? But yet with a heart that has been radically transformed by God's love, the overwhelming response of that love is to be loving. So let's look at now what we have in Christ. So the first verses of 11 and 12 give us the bad news. There's a dividing wall of hostility and we see it. But I love it because Jesus doesn't just leave us with the bad news. He comes in and brings the good news. And here's the good news. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Come on. Thank you for the blood, huh? Now watch this. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both with one and has broken down in his flesh. What has he broken down? The what? The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And he came and he preached. What did he preach? Peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So here's the first thing. In Christ, if you fill in your blanks, here's your first one. We have peace. In Christ, we have peace. Now, the solution is not simply what Christ has done for us. But who Christ is. Notice what it says. It doesn't just say that Jesus comes and brings peace, which he does. It doesn't just say that Jesus comes and preaches peace, which he does. But notice what it says in verse 15. It says, for he himself what? Read it. It's in your notes. He himself what? Is our peace. He is the peace. So instead of us searching and looking for strategies on how to fix this, you know who we need to look to? The Prince of Peace. Instead of us trying to figure out and, and place our hopes in politics, we need to place our hope in the Prince of Peace. He is peace. And in the midst of all the emotions of what's going on, one of the greatest emotions that's happening right now, on whatever side you're on, is fear. Right? It's fear. What does the media play into? Fear. What is the enemy's greatest tool that he desires to use? It's fear. And it's good to be reminded today 
that Jesus himself is our peace. In his death, Jesus took all of the dividing walls and he crucified them. And now here's the thing about when Jesus is our peace. Now I want you to listen to me here. If you go and you read in Matthew 5, when he talks about the Beatitudes, blessed are those, you're going to see one of them talks about that we are peacemakers. That not only does God come and bring peace into your heart, into your soul, but now God has commissioned us to be peacemakers. Not division instigators, but peacemakers. So that means we don't go and add fuel to the fire. We put water on it. Y'all with me here? This is the call for us as Christians. We live differently than the world does. We respond differently than the world does. We have peace. Here's number two. We are made one. We are made one. Ephesians 2.15 says that he, speaking of Jesus, that Jesus might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Galatians chapter 3, now watch this, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all, what's that word? One. Say it out loud. One. You are all one. Now notice, you're one in Christ Jesus. So what that tells me is outside of Christ, we are two. We are divided. In Christ, we are one. We are now identified not just by our skin color or our money or our status. We are now defined as people of God, children of God, daughter of God, son of God. And so that means that I don't just have black brothers in Christ. I have a brother in Christ. Y'all with me? We don't have a white sister in Christ. She is just a sister in Christ. We are no longer defined by race. We are now defined as children of God. You are a brother of mine no matter what your gender or no matter what your race is. God comes because of what Jesus does on the cross, his resurrection. He creates a new people in us. The gospel doesn't mean I cease to be white. Just as much as it doesn't mean that you would cease to be black or Hispanic or anything. It just means that more important is the fact that I am now bought and raised and chosen and loved by God. That is what matters more. What unites us is greater than what divides us. And now let me give you the third one. We are reconciled. So we have peace. We are made one. We are reconciled. Now, Ephesians 2, 16 says, And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby... Now, what's that next word? Thereby killing. Now, what does it kill? Hostility. It kills hostility. This is what Jesus does. Jesus kills hostility. Now, listen to me. Racial reconciliation is not a social issue. It is a gospel issue. Because if the race issue is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem, then reconciliation and us working together as well is not a social problem, it's a gospel problem. If you have a hard time working with people that are different than you, it's a gospel issue. Because you have not realized that what God has done for you. 
We see this, that Jesus Christ is the most unifying person on the planet. You realize that? He is the most unifying person on the planet. He comes and he loves and he takes his people. Could anything be more powerful in this world right now than to see a church made up of all races, all backgrounds, worshiping one God? No, huh? I think it's the most powerful thing in the world. Now imagine this because reconciliation speaks of this. Reconciliation is that one time we were enemies and now we're family. Now that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Sounds almost like something we talked about last week. Had one time we were enemies, but because of God's rich mercy and grace and love, he has now chosen us as enemies now to be in his family. And the same is true here when he says that we have reconciled, God's reconciled us both. He's reconciled Jews and Gentiles. He's reconciled black and white. He's reconciled male and female. He's reconciled slave and free. He's reconciled them as one and thereby killing the hostility in our world. Imagine now these people who were at one time enemies, Jews who could not stare to even look and be in the presence of a Gentile, now are eating together and inviting them into their home and serving one another. And loving one another. And marrying one another. And raising children together. Which is why I even love seeing that even within our own church. The diversity of a black man and a white woman marrying together. Or a Hispanic and a white. Or however that goes. I love seeing that because it's a display of the gospel. It's the greatest display of the gospel. And this is what God does when he takes enemies and he makes them reconciled together and I believe there's no greater weapon we have than love do you understand that the reason why you are able to love is because Jesus loved you first right we love God because he loved us first now with that being said let me just say say this if God has treated you not as an enemy but God has treated you with love and he's chosen you and he's brought you into this family then let me ask you this then should this not fundamentally and forever change the way we treat other people? Shouldn't it? If God has chosen you and he's loved you and he's brought you into his family when you're an enemy, shouldn't this do something inside of us to make us treat people in a whole different way? Shouldn't this now make us see people in a whole different light? You know, when I see someone that struggles with with, uh, sexual promiscuity or a prostitute, you know what I think of? I think, you know what, my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. When I see somebody that's, that is, is having a hard time with money in some regards and, 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 and I realize that, that there's, the wealth that I have is nothing compared to God's. And everything that I have is a gift. This is how we fundamentally change the way that we see our lives. When I see somebody's life that is messed up and jacked up, I realize I also was dead in my sins. See, the reason we get entitled is because we forget where we came from. And we forget what God has done for us. But when we remind ourselves that I too once was an enemy of God and brought into his family, then I too can take people who are enemies of mine and bring them into my family. So here's the big question. How are we as a church to respond in these moments? What are we called to do? Well, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. I want you to read this with me. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is what he's saying. He's saying the way that we love each other is one of the biggest ways that the world sees Jesus. 
The way that a, a multi-ethnic church that is fueled by the grace of God is the ultimate public testimony against racism. When a community looks at our Savior's church and sees black and white and poor and rich, and he sees all, they see all different diversity, and they see us loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, weeping with one another, mourning with one another, and this community and the city sees this, guess what they see? Jesus. They see Jesus when we're mourning with those who have lost, when we're praying with those who are struggling. So how do we respond? Second Chronicles chapter 7, and we're going to wrap all this up, I think speaks very poignantly to us on a church and as Christians. How do we respond to what's going on? Well, Second Corinthians 7 verse 14, it says this. It says, Then, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made where? Made in this place. So let me give you the four. Comes right out of the verse. Four things that as soon as you get up out of the seat and you walk out of these doors, these are four things, no matter if you're white, black, no matter if you're a police officer, no matter if you're whatever stage you're in and whatever you're walking through here, you can do these four things. Here's your first one. Humble yourself. And I want you to notice that this actually happens before prayer. He says, if, if my people, meaning that my people may not, you have an option. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... Well, what does that mean? It means humbling your political opinion. How many know your opinion really doesn't matter? God's opinion is really the only one that matters. Maybe it means we humble our preconceived notions. Maybe it's we're, we, we humble ourselves to listen instead of speak. Maybe humbling ourselves to just try to understand, to try to grasp what somebody else may be feeling. God has called us as a people to walk humbly. You know why? Because Philippians chapter 2 gives us the perfect example that God, that Jesus did not count himself equality with God, but he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and he died the most excruciating death. This is what God did. God could have came on this planet and said, I'm God, worship me. Right? Could he have not done that? But he did not do that. He took the posture of a humble servant and he served broken people and he loved broken people and he walked with broken people. The Bible says that when Jesus looked out on the crowds, he had compassion for them because he realized that they were helpless and hurting and like sheep without a shepherd. This is the God that we serve and the compassion that he had. But you can't do this if you don't humble yourself. As long as we stand in pride as we know the best, we'll not be able to do this. Here's the second one, is that we pray. We pray. Can I give you a real, real, just practical encouragement? I pray that you would pray more than you post. Okay? 
Listen to me closely. If you... I've had to watch myself. Because there's things that I want to say. But I realize two things. One, I am a Christian and I have a responsibility before God to do and say things that honor him. And two, I am a pastor that people are watching. And can I say this? People are watching you. They know you go to our Savior's church. They're watching us. And I pray, I pray, I pray that we would pray more and post less. And that what we do post would be things that would not raise the wall of hostility, but would bridge the gap, would divide the, I mean, would, would abolish and kill and destroy the wall of hostility. Are y'all with me here? And here's the other thing about prayer. Let me just say this, because you don't get God's heart for people until you get before God's heart. And when I access God's heart and I spend time with them and he gives me his heart for people, I can see people through his heart now. Which leads to actually the next one, which is that we would seek God's face. Not seeking everybody else's opinion. Everybody's got opinion on this thing. And I've asked some people. I mean, my brother's here. Me and him have been having dialogues these past couple of days. We've, we've sat down with other guys who are leaders and we've talked with them. And we've, we've had dialogues there. But honestly, it's, it's hurt my heart to hear some things that some people are saying. God has called us here that if we would humble ourselves, that we would pray, that we would seek God's face. Let me ask you this. I think there's a reason he says that we should seek God's face. Notice he didn't just say seek God's hand, seek God's head. He said seek his face. You know what? Because there's something about the face that shows you how people are responding to something. Let me ask you this. What do you think God's face looked like this week? I don't know. I, I would think broken. I would think hurting across the board. This is his own people that are made in his own image. And I want to know the expression that's on God's face. But I don't know God's expression until I spend time with him. I get that on my heart. And here's your last one. It's that we turn from our wicked ways. As I said, hatred, prejudice... All of that is passed down, and we have an opportunity to turn. What, what, what do I mean by turn from your wicked ways? Here's what I mean. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. The, the psalmist David said, he, he, he prayed, God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, could that not be our prayer this morning? I know... I, I know there's anger, and, and I know that in one message, I'm not going to just clear everything up and everything's going to go back to normal. I know there's still a lot of processing. I, still, I know that there's still a lot of things going on in our own hearts, but all I can do is bring us back to the Word of God. That's all I can do is bring us here and see what Christ has done in us, see what Christ has done for us, and then see what God is calling us to do. 
So today I want us to humble ourselves. I want us to pray. I want us to seek God's face. I want us to turn from wicked ways.